0: Welcome to Say What? A Fresh Look at Old Sayings, the podcast which explores the origins, meaning, and value of old sayings, familiar expressions, and adages. I'm Dave Ellingson, adventurer, author, educator, and seeker of wisdom. Today's guest is Dr. Heather Ingersoll, who has quite a list um, of descriptors. Uh, On her wonderful website, um, she lists mom, wife, educator, parent, coach, or maybe that's just parent and coach, (laughs) academic, spiritual leader, Christian, and I love this last one, Wannabe yogi, I'm exhausted <laughs> um, listing all those, but very impressed. Welcome, Heather, and I look forward to our conversations about your life journey. Why don't you tell us a little more about um, <laughs> those descriptors, and uh, and we'll and we'll begin uh, a great conversation.
1: Yeah, thank you, thank you for having me. Um, I appreciate. Hearing you say you feel exhausted reading that because I feel exhausted, (laughs) Uh, but in good ways, all, they're all good things in my life. Um, I currently live in Oregon and am home every day now with my, um, 11 month old son and my four year old son, and they take up a significant portion of my time and energy, um in wonderful and beautiful ways. And uh, my husband, who is working from home currently as well. um, Yeah, we live in Oregon. We've been here a few years, um, but I grew up in Washington and um, I'm the type of person, it is raining today and we had a beautiful 80 degree weekend and I am loving the rain. I'm a true Pacific Northwesterner. a few days of sun and i'm like where's the rain
0: (laughs) (laughs) like a good duck an oregon duck you have webs on your feet right
1: Exactly. yes
0: (laughs) (laughs) well i can understand that feeling of exhaustion being a parent Mm -hmm. um, having been a parent with five of our kids and um, they are all adults now and we actually have four grandchildren and so Mm -hmm. my wife is a wonderful grandma who does the the heavy lifting uh, of all of those four and I I join in for the hi grandpa hi yeah. grandpa time.
1: <laughs> Listen,
0: um, you doing all of those different kinds of things. What would you say uh, would be the main learning that you've had in all of those things? Being a mom, a parent, an educator. You've you've studied. You have your Ph.D um what what would be the the main lesson or maybe a few lessons that you've learned um on that journey
1: hmm yeah i'd say a few um the first i am continually i'd say um monthly even finding connections for who i am and how i show up in the world to how I was as a child and my experience growing up, and um, just the other day, my my husband and I had a long conversation about that, about a new uh, learning I had about who I am because of an experience um, that I remember from childhood. So, um, so so I'm. It's it's just fascinating for me to watch like how my research has been informed by. Um, the experience I have had as a child, how my parenting, how my way of relating to my husband, um, what I'm drawn to as an academic, those are all shaped from our very beginnings of who we are. And um, I'm continually fascinated by that connection. Um, And I guess empowered to move forward in this direction, because I think we don't, highlight that enough in our society, the the fact that the spiritual experiences and the um, relational experiences that we have as children really shape who we are in the world and what we have to offer.
0: You know, um, as you talk about your own experiences and those connections, think back to your childhood, and obviously you did recently, what what would be some examples that kind of come to light and, and come to mind as you're uh, parenting these days, and also researching.
1: Yeah, um, well, I'll tell, I'll, I guess this actually is this, is, this is one of the conversations my husband and I, and I ha- had recently, and it's actually more about him. Um, but our, our four-year-old son is very much like my husband, Ryan. Um, they're very organized, type A people. And Ryan said today, or said recently, I am learning to love myself more because he's seeing himself through the eyes of Theo. And these, uh, these aspects of our four-year-old that we adore, like the fact that he, um, th- this is his new thing. His new thing is putting on his clothes that he will wear in the morning before bed because it's more efficient. So, <laughs> so the other night he ended up in our bed um, because he was having a hard time sleeping. So he likes to fall asleep in our bed before we go to sleep and we bring him back to his bedroom um so we let him do that and we walk in to go to bed and he's laying he's laying asleep on the floor or on the bed and on the floor he has laid out his shirt that he's wearing for the morning it's a button shirt so he can't wear it to bed because that doesn't work his shirt and his pants and they're all laid out like you would lay out you know as a person his laundry basket so he can put his Clothes from the night before, his pajamas and his laundry basket, just all laid out there, so he's ready for the day. (laughs) And these qualities that um, my husband has always found himself maybe have seemed negative, or he's been made fun of for them. We see them as we just find so much joy in that those qualities in Theo. And so Ryan is just seeing himself through new eyes, and um, we're loving that. Yeah. So
0: it's like your son is blessing. The father, yes, and oftentimes we don't think of it in that direction. But uh, I'm curious, you know, that's Theo and your husband. Yeah. When you think of your childhood, it it sounds like perhaps it might be a little different for you that you don't lay out your clothes. (laughs) And that is not me. A little more about you. Do you, do you see any of that coming out in Theo or in your other child?
1: this is what I, and this is what the joy of having two children that our other child were seeing that in me, this, or seeing, yeah, qualities that, um, show up in him that relate to me. So that, um, just the kind of joy ability to, um, enjoy being on his own, but also enjoy being by him or enjoy being with people. Um, he just, I mean, well, obviously, this will unfold more as he, grow, as he grows, but as an 11 month old, he just has a, an ease about him that I think um, relates to, yeah, who I am. And to see that sort of come out in a child and their temperament in a young child, it's neat to see um, a glimpse into what I may have been as a child as well, or what, or what my mom and my dad, you know, are, the memories they have of me as a baby. Um, That
0: brings up that whole issue of nature and nurture, and I'm I'm curious, what do you, you know, as a scholar, I mean, how much of that is there, and how much of it is education and formation and teaching? You know, what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah,
1: (laughs) well, there's a few thoughts. I think, first of all, they, there, there are a list of temperaments that they say that we are born with, and they are sort of innate in who we are. And I definitely see that playing out. Um, those sort of qualities that the introvert versus ext- extrovert, the organized versus, um, okay with chaos, you know, there's different, there's several different, <laughs> the different, um, temperaments that, um, research indicates that are innate and, um, more of the nature part of us. And I definitely see that and I can, there are categories and it's easy for me to fit Theo into those categories for sure. Um, And and it's it's interesting in just his first four years of life, I can see how as a baby, those those temperaments came out in him as a baby and they're coming out now and as a four year old. So um, there's different expressions of those obviously, but I think the nurture part is really about um, how you, in my mind, it kind of shapes the way children express or view themselves within those temperaments. Um, So in my example, I grew up in a family that really believed in the autonomy of the children. And my dad will often say like, I learned how to be a parent from you. Like you taught me more than I, you know, and he took, and both of my parents took that posture that we're learning this together and they valued and respected who we are, what we brought to the world and what we brought to our family. And um, I think that what that does is allow you within your sort of framework of how you were designed um, to thrive in those temperaments. and. Other examples um, can be seen in children who those temperaments are potentially um, uh, not encouraged or seen as um, bad ways of showing up in the world or or discongruous ways, I guess. So um, yes, I think nature, in my mind, the The nurture part of it is really about how we are providing space for children to really live into who they were meant to be. And that shapes um, how they take their innate temperaments and use them in the world. So
0: that's That's a really interesting idea that the space mm-hmm. in which there is autonomy, so the child is Uh, growing and exercising who they sort of are, or some of their temperaments, and yet there's freedom in there. Mm -hmm. That, you know, it's a little scary when I hear that, or perhaps some parents might think, oh my goodness, what's going to happen to my child? I I have a clear picture of what I want for them. I mean, how do you navigate um, that fear for either yourself or for for other people?
1: It's interesting. I always say with Theo, and now I'm I'm getting there with Aiden, but um, I do a lot of what I call my own experimenting. Maybe I should do some of what Piaget did and do turn it into research. But but um, but there have been times when I'm with other parents and I feel like oh, I'm giving my child too much freedom, too much autonomy in the situation um, because of maybe the projected um, feeling of what how parents should be an authority figure um but so I, yeah i've always said I'm, I'm doing this experiment in some way to see like if if i give theo the autonomy to live into who he is in ways that are in a space where he's safe and um loved and allowed to make mistakes but you know not mistakes that are going to affect him in dangerous ways um, what will that look like and it's been really such a joy to see some of that come to fruition um, in the ways that he engages in life really I mean you
0: give some examples of you yeah know, how you see that yeah. emerging even though he's yeah. not very old as a four-year-old what are what are you seeing yeah. what are you hearing um
1: yeah so I think um bedtime is one of them we've I was the mother that wasn't ever too strict and kind of followed their, his rhythm around bedtime and what, when he needed to go to bed, when, what kind of support he needed from us adults. And, um, he didn't sleep very well for several years and I was exhausted, but he is a great sleeper. He likes to go to sleep. He we're now we're in this phase of he's realized, oh, I can read before bed. So we're giving him the space right now. To read before bed and do what he wants to do. Lately, he's been up until 10 o'clock at night, um, but he wakes up and he's happy and he seems real rested. And so, in my mind, I'm like, this is working for him. If we get to a point where it, where there's indicators that he's not getting enough sleep, um, then we reevaluate and look at what that what that looks like. Um, a new thing that we're working on, we're just starting to see the sibling rivalry come out. <laughs> uh, our youngest is a, um, he'll be very vocal when in his ways, he grunts if <laughs> if he wants something and Theo doesn't want him to have it. And so we're talking right now about power dynamics and trying to talk through Theo about you, what innate power he has in that relationship and how because of the power that he has how he um can choose how he um uses that responsibility for good um so we're seeing when we give him the framework and the autonomy within that to say like this is who you are this is the dynamics that are happening now you have a chance to kind of live into that um
0: so it sounds like those two words, it's, it's a, either a balance or a tension between, like you say, the word framework and autonomy. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. a creative tension. Yeah. It's not an either or. You know no. me. I love to say what? Yeah. It's a both and, right?
1: Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's a perfect way to say it. Both and.
0: Yeah. Hey, um, you know, when you think back to your growing up, you talked about your parents, um, you know, and, and Part of that framework, and you know this—this this, my podcast is about um, sayings and adages and and phrases that w- sort of we hear and that you're probably using right now with your. <laughs> yeah. um, can you think of some of those kinds of phrases that your parents used? You mentioned your dad. You know, you're raising us, right? Can you think yeah, of any yeah. of those kinds of phrases? They could be biblical. They could be historical. They could be family. Grandma. You know just some phrases that sort of play out in your head now as you're parenting
1: yeah um it's funny because i the 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 phrases that i think of initially are all um from music music played a big role in our family um so you can't always get what you want <laughs> the rolling stones if you try sometimes you just might find you get what you need and i can like think of my dad singing that and my mom as well like that was that was something we heard often in our family and I find myself singing that with Theo especially in the whining phases of of wanting everything so that was one um Neil Young was also a big had a big role in our family so um keep on rocking in the free world like when I think of like joy and like dancing and like rocking it out that's the phrase that comes to mind (laughs) so those are a couple Um, my grandma was the one that kind of had the platitudes the the let go and let god god's in control um which i think for my grandma like that was the best place to hear that from um, to hear it from the grandma, from from the parents, I think it would have been a little too disingenuine, but it just kind of embodied who my grandma was or is. Um, so those were a few phrases that I um, lean on when I'm thinking about her. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. That now was... your research, let's go back to the research. what What have you mm-hmm. discovered in your research? Uh, As you worked on your PhD and and that scholar part of you, the academic part of you, Mm -hmm. what what are some of the things you've learned that maybe echo what you already knew or maybe are new things that I think maybe some people who would be listening would would appreciate knowing about um, forming the faith of a young person, Mm -hmm. growing, um, maturing, um, the spirituality of children, all of that.
1: Yeah. um, So, yeah, a big chunk of my research has been um, investigating the spiritual lives of children. And I think what um, seminal researchers have sort of landed on in that research within the last 30 years is really the innate um, spirituality of children and the um, fact that we are born spiritual beings it's not something we need to be given or fed Um, and work from Robert Coles and Rebecca Nye shows that a lot of times you don't see that spirituality um, expressed in the places we would want it to be expressed in a way to feel good about what's happening. So um, Robert Coles, some of his work showed that children um, had these spiritual experiences or ideas that they never really expressed in church, Um, but they came out in these interviews. They would be something about an experience at home or dreams they had or, uh, but But, um, and Rebecca and I's work has done this as well, looked at children and their experience in church and how oftentimes um, they express that church was a place where their spirituality was stifled Hmm. and kind of put in a box in a sense. Um, And as she, I, I believe it's Rebecca and I kind of describes it like children don't have the ability like adults do to be like, oh, I just have this really profound idea and I need to share it with all these adults who want to know what I'm thinking. (laughs) You know, it will come out in like babbling ways. It'll come out, you know, it'll be one, one moment. This child has this amazing spiritually profound idea and thought or, and shares it. And then two seconds later, they may be arguing with their brother, you know, like it's just, it's just, it's so, it doesn't fit in our box that adults want it to fit, fit in. It doesn't always, um, come out at the times that seem like it should come out at the right time. Um, So it's hard to pinpoint. And I think because of that, we don't always see it or recognize it.
0: Can you think of an example? Again, we'll take Theo as in the laboratory, the uh, Ingersoll learning laboratory. (laughs) Can you think of maybe just some examples that he has demonstrated?
1: Yeah, let me. um,
0: That innate spirituality.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think, I'm trying to think, there's something really recently that was just so funny to me. Um, well, one of the things lately I that has been a joy for me in this time, I'm doing a lot of video um, lessons and um, children's times and stories over, obviously, over video, we're doing it in our home, Theo's kind of right there doing it with me, and um, so he's picking up on things in new ways, so after um, the Monday, Monday, Thursday, I did like a quick moment for families and talked about the potential of, you know, signing the cross on each other's forehead. And, um, so Theo's new thing is we'll sign, he'll choose something. So it's been a smiley face and a heart. (laughs) And I just like, those have been such gifts to me. Like, mom, I'm going to put a heart on your forehead or mom, I'm going to put a smiley face on your forehead. And, um, it, and to me, it's like, he's, he's kind of embodying, um, this blessing, this idea of blessing, and that's connected to hearts and to smiley faces. And, um, so that's one of the things lately. Yeah, I can't.
0: So, so this spirituality that's innate in children, right? That, Mm -hmm. that often doesn't fit in the boxes <laughs> that we have. In a sense, you're saying that we need to broaden our definition of
1: spirituality yeah. mm-hmm.
0: and, and to be looking and aware and listening in different kinds of ways. It, 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 how, how does that find its way into curriculum? Mm, yeah. <laughs> how does it find its way into Christian education or in,
1: yeah.
0: in education in general?
1: Yeah, Uh, this goes to the other part of my research, which uh, my dissertation research looked at self-determination theory. So it's a theory of motivation and self-determination theory posits that in um, social settings in order for people to connect to the values um, that make up that social um, construct or social setting, I guess, um, three things need to be there, autonomy, relatedness, and competency. So in my research, I looked at relatedness and autonomy in Sunday school and how that connects to, um, children's spirituality. Um, so I think, I think there's this sense of recognizing, um, that, beyond the stories it's about how the, the stories of our faith it's about how we connect to those stories of the faith so um to be honest godly play i think is the one curriculum or way of approach that does this the best where it always asks where are you in this story so it's recognizing that um children children come to the biblical stories from their own perspective and who they are. And it's important that we recognize that, um, or, or pr- not even recognize, but provide space for them to explore. What does this mean to me? What is this experience saying to me? Um, I have one of my favorite stories about using sort of a godly play approach or a one, really a wondering approach with children um, comes from Christmas Eve. I had one Christmas Eve and it, it was one of those packed services, tons of families, tons of kids, lots of kids who aren't there, you know, typically during the year, and the children were all up front with me, Um, and I was asked them to one, asked them to wonder about what it means to be walking in darkness. We were talking about the Isaiah 9 passage, the light coming into the darkness, and so I, so I wonder, what does it look like to walk in darkness, and the kids said, said answers like, um, you can't see what's in front of you. It's scary. You don't know what's up ahead. Um, and then one girl, this three-year-old girl, who was one of those girls that would kind of hide behind her mom anytime she anyone would try to say hi, <laughs> You know, that um, didn't like the attention. And she raised her hand, which, first of all, had never happened with this girl before. I mean, um, and she said, it's the place where my heart hurts and um she had lost her grandfather about three weeks prior to christmas eve and it was just one of those moments where i felt like i call it like one of my burn, burning bush moments where i felt like this moment of like i'm standing in holy grounds like god is connecting to this girl and where she's at in life in profound ways and i get a little glimpse of that um and so i think it's that it's 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 helping children recognize that this story is not just a story to memorize or to answer questions about or to know cognitively, you know, to, um, but it's a story to embody and it's a story about you. And, and, um, our connection to that story is like who you are in that story, um, is the power that it has. So,
0: Isn't isn't that really what Jesus was talking about? He was telling these stories all the time and he wasn't saying what they meant. He was telling parables and he invited people into those stories and we we wander around in them and the danger you know is that we say well this is what they mean and yet I think that we need to trust that people will find their place like that child in the story Mm -hmm. and make their own connections and, and then the power of the spirit is how do we, how do we help them think about that and share it mm-hmm. and, and yeah. let it be right.
1: Yeah. And I think you brought, you said a key word, trust. A lot of it is trusting, trusting that God is there, trusting that the Holy spirit is working and we don't have to do the work of like pushing it. Does that make sense? Like, like forcing it down their throats in a sense, like, Memorize this verse and know this. And if you do that, then you'll have faith. But it's trusting that, like, we provide the space and God is there. And yeah.
0: You know, it's interesting um, in our correspondence as I was uh, talking with you and thinking about this conversation. One of the things you said um, that was important as people form their faith, not only children, but adults, is to have that freedom. Um, to let your faith be defined by doubt
1: mm-hmm.
0: and wondering. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I mean, I think of, you know, children. I mean, they wonder. I, I wonder all the time. And, and sometimes we squeeze that right out of people, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. here's the answer. Mm-hmm. How, how, t- talk about that in terms of your own faith and doubt and wondering and how you work with kids and your own child. To, to foster that kind of, I guess, freedom.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think um, why that is so important to me is I think I experienced somewhat of a dichotomy in my growing up years in that I had some really rich spiritual experiences at home with my family that I can like just remember so Um And those were times like I, there's one memory I have of sitting on a Um, log at the ocean with my dad he was on one side I was on the other and we just sat quietly and watched the waves and I can I don't I mean it seemed like hours it maybe wasn't but I just remember this feeling of like being grounded in this space and in this place Um, and I remember moments of what I call um, existential pauses (laughs) as a child where I could I just have this feeling of like, I was watching myself live um, what I was doing. And this like profound kind of connection of like, I am me, I am here, but there's something going on here that's bigger than that. And, and um, so I had these amazing experiences as a child at home and, and then at church, um, which I, I, adore the people I went to church with and adore my Sunday school teachers, but it was a very sort of cut and dry way of looking at scripture. And this is what happened a cut and dry way of looking at faith. Um, and then I hit the point that so many do in college, um, where you're like, wait a second, I've been told my whole life that creation happened in seven days. That doesn't like, did it have to happen in seven days or you learn that the story of um like Noah's story there are other historical societies that have had very similar stories in their in their um mythical you know stories of creation or what how the world has become how it is and it was such a as so many it was like um sort of hitting a brick wall and a a an experience of disappointment and um worry am i losing my faith am i not a christian anymore and uh wandering in a wilderness kind of experience until i was connected with people who and luckily are i mean you know this well you are one of them our college professors <laughs> we were blessed to be in a place at trinity lutheran college where um that was that was valued that um, and encouraged. And so I, um, I had leaders that weren't pushing me away from that, but encouraging me to dive into that. And now I just can't, I, now I've come to this place where that doubt and that wondering, it's okay. Like it doesn't, it doesn't negate my faith. To me, it, it broadens my faith. And so now I can look back on these experiences as, as a child and see those are what has shaped me um, to embrace a God that is bigger and more loving than I could ever imagine from what I learned as a, when I learned in Sunday school. So
0: I use that phrase wandering in a wilderness. Yes. And, and that sounds negative, but mm-hmm. you know, you think of those, that image of the 40 years in the wilderness or Jesus and the 40 days in his own wilderness, you know, as, mm-hmm. as part of a huge part, if not the most important part Mm -hmm. of their formation, of their trust, their faith, their, their life, you know, and wilderness is not a bad place necessarily. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Part of the learning, right?
1: Yeah. It's a, yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. And that's, I mean, I, and now I would say I have little wilderness experiences all the time and they feel, I feel more grounded in them. I guess I feel more open and able to be present in those moments of, instead of fearful that I'm losing something that I feel like I need to grasp onto, if that makes sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah. A burning bush. You think about, you know, before the wilderness wandering, right? Mm -hmm. There probably wasn't a lesson about a burning bush, right? Mm. Like they were out there and it's like, whoa, somehow there's something going on here I don't understand yeah and people have been pondering that ever yeah. since and and yeah. think of all the wonderful ways i mean you even used one a little bit ago about being on holy ground it's like mm-hmm. what the heck is holy ground is there yeah. is there still holy ground is there still holy water are there still burning bushes wilderness
1: yeah.
0: right yep Yeah. <laughs> so true
1: <laughs> yeah it's so true
0: so you you your website um, at the at the very bottom welcoming the little ones. Mm-hmm. What, how can we welcome?
1: Mm-hmm. Ones?
0: I mean, just what are some things, some very practical kinds of suggestions you can make, um, whether it's to parents or to the church mm-hmm. or to you know people in general in our society?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, it, in my mind, it always goes back to um, sort of re- respect and autonomy and recognizing that children have some deep, deeply spiritual ways of showing up in the world. And if we find ways to provide space for that, it will continue um, to grow. And I think, I, think it's, I think we're in a world right now that needs that more than ever. We need the voices of children who have been empowered to speak into what they think they need to speak into what they feel um so so practically what that looks like um I think is inviting them to wonder I mean we 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 say I wonder a lot <laughs> I say that in my family a lot like I wonder like you will ask me a question I wonder you know um so so inviting finding the small ways to invite Um, a larger way of viewing a circumstance or a place we're at or a um, position in the world Um, and and providing that framework so for example in you know we are looking at the sibling rivalry thing as not only an opportunity to talk through how do you you know we want to be nice to each other (laughs) and like managing our household right like we can't handle like 18 years of fighting all the time. But like, <laughs> but an opportunity to say, you are in a certain position of power and what does that look like? And how do you, and and giving the framework or the, these big ideas of things that happen in the world and allowing children to engage in those and explore those from the place of who they are. And that will look very different. That will look very different for Theo than it does for Aiden. Um, so, yeah. So I think I think that all stems from this idea of giving them respect and autonomy, inviting them when it comes to opportunities in the church. Doing the same thing, presenting them with stories and frameworks of the faith and God's work in the world, and then allowing them the space to share. Like, what does that mean to you? How do you connect with this? Um, and it's in my mind, it's the greatest joy um, because we, yeah, children have a different, bring a different perspective, bring different ideas, so if we give them space to speak into the parts of our world that we don't always give them freedom to do, um, we are blessed, yeah, ultimately, I think, oh. you know, if that's a good, if that helps.
0: <laughs> that's very, very helpful. I, you know, I think of, um, you, you're obviously familiar with and maybe people who are listening are not familiar with Ignatian contemplation mm-hmm. yeah. or Lectio Divina and yeah. you know, when I was growing up you studied the Bible and then you you said well this is what it means and these are the things and usually the teacher had answers written down somewhere or had an idea mm-hmm. but, but I was I was for me very um, inspired by allowing me to walk around in that story mm-hmm. at That wonderful parable, and and find my place, or Mm -hmm. or or what um, image sort of came alive for me, or Mm -hmm. or didn't? Yeah, yeah. Oh well.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it doesn't.
0: (laughs) Freedom, you know, to enter into the story and let the story find your place. I guess that's when you when you say welcoming the child. It sounds Mm -hmm. to me like helping children to find their place
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and defined by who they are who they were created to be yeah not sort of defined by a box that we've sort of a a place that we want them to be um
0: each of them has different gifts and what are those gifts right Mm
1: -hmm. i have an example or just a quick thing saying about um you talking about leftio. I've done that with children at times, sort of created my own way of guided reading with children, and I'll read often like one or two lines of a psalm, and um, my, my options for exploring the text are, say a, a phrase or a word that sticks out to you, so that's um, typical, and then I invite them to say, say a color that comes to mind, and then say a feeling the end of the feeling but the color i've done this um for like children's times in church um with several psalms and every time i've done it at least one child will say gold as their color <laughs> and i and i always have adults come up to me and say i was so i was i thought it was so interesting that they said gold because they're often nature-based um passages so you know, adults are saying like green or blue, or it's very, um, you know, in that <laughs> And I, I almost want. I've thought about doing research on this because I've just been so fascinated that so many times, there. And to me, it's almost this like they see the light in the words, even though it doesn't talk about the light. Do you Do you know what I mean? It's just. Um, so yeah, that's that's just an, an aside that I thought of when you <laughs> you're saying that.
0: Well, this conversation has been pure gold. Yeah. Oh. It's been delightful <laughs> just to have a chance to learn more about um, this amazing mom, wife, educator, parent, coach, academic, spiritual leader, Christian. And I got to ask you a final question. Yeah. What did you mean when you said wannabe yogi?
1: Uh, well, <laughs> I would love to be one of those people that does yoga every day. I mean, if I could do like, if I could do and add an extra thing to my repertoire would be taking a yoga teacher training and just being one of those people that like yoga informs a lot of what they do in life <laughs> and right now for me it's like 10 minutes on the mat in the morning and then this is this morning and then the baby wakes up and I you know make it 10 minutes in later but, <laughs> but
0: yeah well, it's amazing you juggle and do so well with all of those different hats and different uh, aspects to your life. Thank you so much for this conversation and uh, we wish you well. Maybe you could just say a quick word about how people can connect with you, um, your website, et cetera, and, and what you offer there.
1: Yeah, um, Welcome. To little ones.com is my website and um, I haven't been as active lately, but I have children's sermons examples. I have several blog posts, some, some that connects to the research I've done. Um, and I have a Facebook page as well that's linked on my website and yeah, that's.
0: Well, again, thank you and and virtual hugs to all the members of your family. And I look forward to, uh, to future conversations and and in-person visits. Thank you again.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Dave.
0: Until next time, I'm Dave Ellingson, and this has been Say What? A Fresh Look at Old Sayings, the podcast which explores the origin, meaning, and value of old sayings, familiar expressions, and adages. Tune in to Say What? on your mobile device, computer, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And next time, join me for a life journey conversation with scientist Alan Herr who is doing some very exciting research in the field of genetics. For more information about my books and films, check out my website, dEllingson.com. And thanks for listening.